This is the Pride and Prejudice podcast from The Economist Group, which explores the economic and business case for LGBT inclusion. I'm Matthew Bishop, and today I'm talking with Beth Brook, the Global Vice Chair of Public Policy for EY. Beth, I'd like to talk about a number of issues. One, you know, your own experience coming out as a, a senior executive in a multinational company and, and how that's changed you and how you think that's changed perceptions within the company. I'd like to talk about the broader global role that you see that multinationals can play in helping address some of the challenges that LGBT people face and more generally your your take on the state of in, inclusion and diversity uh, around the world and, and where, where you're most optimistic and where you're most fearful. And I wanted to start by saying, you know, we're, we're at this time, it seems to me, of tremendous cultural ferment and tension and whether it be you know, what we're seeing in Turkey, the sort of some of the undertones of the Brexit debate here in the States, Trump and you know, some of the uh, hate that seems to be being unleashed by what's going on. We've had so many shootings, including, of course, the, the killing in Orlando. How do, how do you view what's going on from the perspective of the, of the C-suite, of the, the role that multinationals can play? Well, there's never been a more time for the multinationals to find our voice. And... The reason I say that is you take any of those issues that you describe, it's just, it, it just demonstrates a divide in the world, a fear, an underlying fear, a sense of insecurity, uh, and it's driving nationalism. It is driving everybody back to surround themselves with people who look, act, and think like themselves because it's where they feel comfortable. It's never been a more important time. I'll take Orlando, for instance, uh, my community, the hate crime against my community of LGBT, and that affected all of our LGBT employees around the world because it was a hate crime against that community. And so there's never a more important time for us to speak to our employees about our workplace, our values around inclusion, we have the responsibility and the obligation and the desire to make that safe physically and safe mentally, where everyone can feel included and everybody can reach their full potential. So tell us a bit about within, within, within EY, when, that, when Orlando happened, what was the way in which the internal fears were expressed and what do you do about that? Well, everybody, everybody's, everybody's nervous. Everybody just wants to be reassured at that moment. So, but when you add all of these events up together, and they're happening all over the world on different issues, you know, what we've launched actually a campaign around one-on-one where you, you, you as an individual employee, go talk, go as a leader, go talk to people. Just go talk, go listen, get them talking. Find those fears, reach those insecurities, and help people to feel included. There's never been a more important time. And, in a, you know, the, the multinational companies, when you put us together, we employ millions of people. Our economies are bigger than a lot of countries. We can make a difference on these issues because we can control what happens in our workplace. And it's not just about our employees. Our employees go home at night, and we hope they come back the next day. And so we can influence communities by influencing and and helping employees understand how to be a good ally around all sorts of differences. But when they go home at night then, they, they take something else back into their communities. And that really is the platform and the role of the multinational. And I'm quite hopeful, actually. It's a very interesting point that you made, because I suppose generally, you know, we've written about this at The Economist, this feels like a period of backlash against globalization, against this notion that we're moving towards a sort of set of global progressive values. And, you know, you're positing, I suppose, that the multinational can be the driving force of, you know, more, more even maybe than political movements of, of, a, of, a, of a common 
global uh, set of values that's very progressive and inclusive. How how ready do you think the multinational sector is to play that role, and you know, does, has it figured out how to do it? I know that there are an awful lot of multinational companies who are ready to play that role, who think about their role. Um, several of us met together in Davos last year, uh, talked just about that, and met with Vice President Biden, encouraging us to understand the importance of our multinational workplaces. In fact, he said to us, you can accomplish sometimes more than we as, we as, as political leaders can accomplish. And, and I actually do believe that on this issue and the values and inclusion. Um, because we have company values. Every company has values. And employees can choose to be a part of it or not. But if you have chosen to be with that company, you've signed up for the values of that. And over time, um, you'll self-select out if, if those values are inconsistent with yours. And so, you know, we employ, you know, 230,000 people in 155 countries. We can touch a lot of lives. And those lives, as I said, they go home at night and they come back in the morning. And so the reach is even broader. Um, I know for our LGBT employees, for instance, what our focus on inclusion for LGBT isn't just about our employees, it's about parents who may have a gay son or daughter, and they're struggling. So if we can help them be allies around all elements of difference, but help them understand the issues around LGBT, I'm convinced we are saving lives as well as making our workplace better. Now, how broad is that coalition specifically around LGBT? Because I mean, you mentioned Davos. Mm -hmm. and. You know, it, it's still not on the main agenda there for Davos Man. Largely. That's right. <laughs> um, but it doesn't stop the companies from getting hmm. together, meeting, trying to do things together. A lot of the efforts, everything multinationals do, you, you kind of you set global policies, but you have to implement them locally, very locally. Uh, on LGBT in particular, the, the, the local calibration of implementation is important because laws and cultures are all different. So as companies, we can band together and do things in a location that uh, if any one of us stepped out, there might be backlash, our local leaders may have difficulty, but if there's five or six of us doing it together, countries and communities care about jobs, and at the end of the day, they will care about their economy and the life of their citizens. And so our economic power is important, and therefore our values are important in a local Are there any particular states where you're seeing that kind of collective action by companies starting to provide the change you're talking about? You look at the efforts in Indiana where, you know, the religious freedom law, the companies exercise sort of their economic power. Um, I actually wrote an op-ed, and, and my frustration in Indiana was it wasn't good enough just to, 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 to roll back that law we still have a workplace discrimination law on the books in Indiana to where you can be, you can be married at noon and fired at two. And, and, and the, I don't think the corporate community actually understood well enough that Indiana could have led and gone one step further um, and stopped short just by rolling back the action that they had just taken. So do you find the trend that I hear a lot about is lots of companies, multinational companies, have these great policies at head office, inclusion all, all around, and yet when you go out to country or you go out to an office away from head office in maybe a less enlightened part of the country that you're really not seeing those policies being implemented. I mean, how big a problem is that? It's a real problem. It's a challenge for any multinational company, and I think any multinational company that tells you they're getting it right at all levels probably isn't being quite truthful. Um, it, it is, it's a massive undertaking to get um, policies translated into action and get tone at the top translated all the way through to tone at the bottom. I mean, it just is. 
Uh, and, and it's a constant battle, it's a constant journey, but one very well worth the effort, but everything is local. And so you can't just set a policy and walk away, that's for sure. You've got to implement it every day and stay focused on it. And you know, what can you do as a company in countries where you know, the legal or cultural norms are hostile to LGBT inclusion? Well, you have to operate, safety and soundness of your employees is first and foremost. So you have to operate in a country to protect the safety and soundness of your employees. But I think no matter where in the world you're talking, there, there's a recipe for how to do this. The tone at the top has to be clear. I think having an out, having out senior executives is very important. I know for us, we've been one of the most inclusive employers for a very many years. But I do know that my coming out made a difference. It made a significant difference to our employees around the world. Because you can say everything, but when they look up and they see somebody different on so many dimensions, being successful in the organization, they want to succeed by being who they are. Not by being who I am or anybody else at the top, but they want to succeed by being who they are. So if they see somebody very different from the norm, having been successful, it tells them they can be, they can succeed. So I think you need tone at the top, you need out senior leaders, you need strong allies throughout the organization that gets at all those levels. You need strong employee networks or employee resource groups. Um, I know so much of our progress in Japan was as a result of our strong LGBT resource group in Japan, really working it on the ground on a daily basis. Um, and those are just critical factors. And then social media is important because if you've got people in a country that is hostile, guaranteed, we've got LGBT employees in that country for sure. They're, they're, they may be closeted, guaranteed they're watching. Through social media, they're feeling included in the employee resource networks. Um, they may cover as allies, um, but they're there, they know they're in, they're in an environment that's inclusive, and that, that is, social media is important. So, you know, you mentioned the need for out senior executives and it seems likely that there are a lot of senior executives who are LGBT that aren't out yet. What from your own experience and, and thought process as you made your decision to come out, you know, what can you share to encourage other, other executives in that position to take the, the stand? It's a great question. I, my immediate reaction emotionally is it breaks my heart to know they're there. I, I know they're there and it breaks my heart and it breaks my heart because I wasted 52 years of my life in the closet. And my life when I came out went from black and white to life in full color. And it's just the best way I can describe it. I came alive. And I had no idea a day before I came out that I wasn't alive and that I wasn't really living. I would have argued to the ends of the earth and said, I'm just fine. My private life's my private life. Nobody needs to know. I was so wrong. Just so wrong. And anybody I've talked to who comes out, and especially late in their career, has the exact same experience. And so it breaks my heart to know that we have senior leaders who still feel compelled to, to, to be in the closet because I just know they are not, the world's not getting the best from them because the world wasn't getting the best of me. And what's been the, the impact within EY of you coming out? I, I, I think it's been, it, it, it's affirming to our values, it, it, but I know that for our employees, our, especially our LGBT employees around the world, it has just given them such um, you know, confidence and courage to do even more. They're probably our strongest resource group we have around the world, uh, most visible, most active. Um, but it's, I think it's helped them even because we've just been able to take 
our, our collective efforts to the next level. I think it's really helped our senior leadership. You know, I, I would come into a board meeting and nobody knew me. I mean, I was sort of labeled a loner. Well, I was a loner because <laughs> I was deeply closeted. So if you got too close with too many questions, I'd just be backing up and I'd always keep you at a distance. I love to, you know, show up at board meetings and have people ask about Michelle, my wife, and ask about our life. It's like I can actually talk about my life. Um, and that just allows your teams, what you don't realize is it allows your teams to engage with you. My team actually couldn't engage with me personally. And, and, you know, just, and, and that affects everything in terms of how you work as a team. So we talk now a lot about, a lot more about just authenticity at every level because everybody's different. Everybody's different in, in some dimension. And so authenticity is about just being authentic about all your differences. And that allows our teams to engage and it actually allows high performance teaming to start to occur. You can team, but you'll never become a high performance team until everyone is just authentic and being themselves and bringing everything they've got to the table and being embraced for it. And lastly, I mean, with your sort of diversity LGBT hat on, is there any issue that or challenge or worry that keeps you awake at night about what might happen or what needs to happen? Well, I, I worry that people will think this will generationally fix itself. I think people look at our youth today who are much more um, generally open, have much, just much more embracing. And I worry that people will think this will generationally fix itself. 62%, I, I, think, it's, I think this is a US statistic, but 62% of kids that come out of college who are out go back in the closet when they take their first job. That's just and Why do you think that is? It's not safe. They don't know if it's safe. The, the rules, are the, they're going into a workplace, they want to succeed, they look up and they're not sure of the landscape. And so they may, they may hear all the right words, but if they don't feel safe in their immediate team, in their immediate location, they're going, 62% are going back in the closet. That, we've got to address that. That says we have a long way to go so that that phenomenon doesn't happen. Once that phenomenon is not happening, we have a chance to fix this generationally. Well, Beth Brooke, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. This has been the Pride and Prejudice podcast from The Economist Group which explores the economic and business case for LGBT inclusion. I'm Matthew Bishop, and I've been talking with Beth Brooke of EY.